Welcome to the February edition of the Gate 15 interview. As we celebrated Valentine's Day this month, I get the privilege of speaking with a colleague I truly love, an awesome leader, a great American, a security professional, and all this despite cheering for the Dallas Cowboys. Today, I'm talking with Mark Herrera, who is a retired law enforcement officer and today serves as a director of education for the International Association of Venue Managers. Mark, thanks for making time for this, man. I've wanted to do this for a while. Before we dive into things, do you want to introduce yourself to those that are listening? Yes, Andy. First of all, I just want to say thank you. Uh, and also, I want to thank, I want to thank, uh, you know, the RE ISAC as well and Gate 15 for the work that you folks do, providing risk management services that contribute, you know, to the continuous operation, providing information, threat analysis, understanding what the current threat landscape is like, and providing that resource to all different organizations in the public and private sector is really so it's beneficial and our industry really pulls a lot of good information from the resources that you push uh, that you push through uh, REI sec so thank you for that Andy um, my background yeah I, I think you said it best you know a director of education life safety for IBM I've been very fortunate to have had a you know a really rewarding law enforcement career and worked all aspects of law enforcement ultimately retired uh, special operations um, as a as a tactical team lead. And then I moved to Dallas where I worked for the Department of Homeland Security, uh, primarily uh, training armed personnel on how to regain control of hijacked aircraft and training in all aspects to prevent acts of terrorism. Again, all, re all referencing back to post 9-11. Uh, and now at IAVM, uh, basically an association uh, that I oversee all the educational offerings with a heavy emphasis on the safety and security front to assure that we provide the proper training, education to safely secure all of the different venue types that IABM represents. So can you can you share, Mark, just like who are those venue types? Like what are we talking about? When we say venues, what are we talking about? Absolutely. So the International Association of Venue Managers is a not-for-profit association that represents public assembly venues from around the globe. Our mission is to educate, advocate for, and inspire public assembly venue professionals worldwide, not just in our homeland. Our professional members include managers, senior executives from auditoriums, arenas, convention centers, exhibit halls, stadiums, performing arts centers, university complexes, and amphitheaters. Member venues represent both publicly and privately owned venues. And these are the venues that attract millions of patrons to an astonishing variety of events from football to basketball, you know, to hockey, from rock concerts to conventions, conferences to ballets, and the list is almost endless. Thanks, Mark. And Mark knows I love, I love going to events. I love sporting events. I love musical events. I'm suffering right now because I haven't been out to a concert or a good game in way too long. So I'm, I'm going through some uh, challenges there. Mark also is good enough to let me come out once a year, usually when it's not a pandemic and I get to go to a school that Mark leads and pretend like I know what I'm talking about uh, to help train and educate the, the next generation of, of venue leaders and on safety and security issues. And it's a real privilege to be associated with IAVM. So now we know about who Mark is, about who IAVM is. Mark didn't say this, and I'll say this on his behalf. Mark is a physical specimen, man. When, when we get together, you know, I've got to try and boost my chest up. I I get a few quick push-ups in. I wear tight T-shirts. They cut off my circulation a little bit. I get a little bit jacked up looking because I can't hang next to this guy. He's, he's a beast. But that's another story. We'll talk about that another day. It's always good to get together with Mark and, and, and check out where he is. He's, he's, in, he's a monster in the gym, and he's a monster when it comes to safety and security. And we've been in cahoots, really, man. We've been since 2014, right? Here we are dealing with a pandemic. 
when Mark and I first connected uh, during the 2014 Ebola crisis, right? So you and I were both dialing into all the government industry calls, trying to understand the threat, what we needed to do to protect people and places. And I think we both kept a cautious eye on health threats in the ensuing years, right? So six years later, pandemic blows up, huge impact on the venue industry. So as I said, I'm a big fan of live music and sports. I think the last concert I went to was in October 2019. I got to the Black Keys down in Washington, D.C., and it was an amazing show uh, with my wife. But it's been a long time. And so I felt it at a personal level. I certainly felt it experienced the challenges at a professional level. Can you talk a little about how COVID-19 has impacted the venue's community that you described? I can, Andy. And first of all, let me begin by saying that um, on the physical side, which is another podcast, I can tell you right now that I do everything just to keep up with you. And again, uh, thank you for the compliments. I push hard in order to, again, when I stand next to you, I can't, I can't have you make me look small at the end of the day. Uh, and, and you already do, but uh, you push me. So thank you on that, Andy. Um, and Mark, I'm wearing my, you guys can't see us on the podcast, but I'm talking to Mark on video. I'm wearing my Arnold is still numero uno t-shirt to honor, you know, our weightlifting tradition. So he's, he's my hero. I'm sure you're an Arnold Schwarzenegger fan as well. So that, that's what I've got on here. So I'll just share that with you for. And I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, um, Andy is still numero uno right now. So <laughs> you guys can't see that. I just, just want to share that with you. Uh, Andy is an integral part also of our Academy for Venue Safety Security in that, um, you know, and I'm sure that we will talk a little bit about that, but uh, AVSS is a school. Uh, it's an academy that deals with, that works with four different domains, risk management, emergency out, uh, planning, operations, and training. And Andy is an integral part of that. And again, we pride ourselves with a faculty that can deliver at a high end. Um, and without going deep into AVSS, Andy is a big part of, of actually developing and establishing our exercises to also being one of our one of our lead instructors as well. So thank you for doing that, Andy. My pleasure. Thanks for letting me. And to answer your question uh, regarding uh, you know how COVID nineteen has impacted our venue community, um, listen. The reality of the event industry is one of unrelentingly disruptive change. We know that. We know that change is happening and has been happening at an unprecedented pace. Venues of all types had to figure out how to successfully adapt and upper, operate under a set of rules and expectations that are constantly in flux based on the current health crisis, as you said, Andy. But the challenge of this disruption has posed an economical and a physical risk. But out of this, we're about to see, Andy, how resilient the industry is, is and embrace those growth opportunities. That's our focus. Now, IAVM, having significant influence in a global industry, we had a civic duty from the very beginning to assure that we provide safe, secure, and healthy environments with all public facilities where crowds assemble. We're in association with that mission that I mentioned before to edu educate, advocate for, and inspire public assembly venue professionals worldwide. We knew that the industry was in flux, they were taxed, there was that level of uncertainty. So immediately what we did was we started working collectively, Andy, with all the venue types, other organizations and associations. This was inclusive because they were suffering the same thing. They were impacted as well. Uh, this, these were suppliers, meeting planners, organizers, their respective leadership alongside the federal government and working groups that we developed that were tasked to gather data, poll the sectors and conduct research as the industry moved towards recovery and identifying what does the new norm look like? 
under the current health pandemics. And the one thing that we said, Andy, was we have to identify what the challenges and what the risks are, not only from a health perspective, but also from a security posture as well. We always said that our event venues are going to follow medical and governmental guidance. We weren't going to circumvent the science of a pandemic, of any pandemic. And all those working in the events were going to follow written protocols to remain flexible to assure that attendees, including event staff, suppliers, and planners, are the number one priority, all the guests that are attending, right? But we knew that also out of those top line security considerations for all the venues um, was to allow healthy people to enjoy these facilities and events. But out of that, we knew that our venues became very anemic, right? Because you had a lot of furloughs, you had a lot of layoffs, their guard forces had leaned out, right? Um, a lot of the facilities now were more vulnerable than ever, especially when these facilities repurposed themselves to assist their respective communities. When they repurposed themselves to um, hospitals, um, vaccination distribution sites as of current, when they repurposed to homeless shelters, when they repurposed to anything other than their intended purpose to host events, we knew that they were the most vulnerable. We knew that information was coming across that the best way to affect our crowds is to affect them while their security posture was very, uh, very, very anemic. And so we had to really focus our attention on that, Andy. And that's what our industry has been going through uh, here since, uh, since March. Mark, that, that, that covers a lot of ground there as, as venues have tried to evolve and, and manage the situation. And like you talked about, you know, with uh, becoming vaccine distribution sites every day, it seems like there's a new stadium or arena, you know, is offering that capability to, to the government to help get vaccines out. And I should give a nod to DHS who's passed some guidance on safely and securing those facilities when people do that. And we'll include that link in the show notes, but it's been a really big year. I know a lot of people, not just myself, have, have felt the impact of you know, closed facilities and, you know, people aren't touring, there's games aren't being played in front of live audiences. Some have been successful in that. Some have been able to continue some level of, you know, engagement. We've seen that a lot with, for example, you know, the, the NFL season just wrapped up. So some teams hosted, uh, you know, teams with with fans in the, in the audience safely. I uh, didn't have any major incidents that were identified through that, those process. So there are good stories, but, but here we are now, 2021, right? New year, new challenges. You've seen some venues that never closed have had those concerts and other events. Others have started reopening. Some are still waiting. All of us are hoping that we can turn the page sometime this year. Where do you see the venue community going in 2021? How do we open back up safely? And when do you think that's going to be happening broadly you know, for the venue community? Listen, Andy, that is, that is absolutely a good question. I, I'll tell you this. Um, you know, again, with, you know, with IABM and our members that, uh, that are a part of our industry, and all the working groups and task force, especially on the security side, uh, the one thing is that we had to identify and kind of forecast what it's going to look like in in twenty in twenty twenty one. What is it the things that we're going to have to focus on as we as we move forward? So what we did was because IABM serves as a conduit whereby the Department of Homeland Security provides and shares information to its members. This information is essential and critical to infrastructure resilience and to protect public health and safety at the end of the day. So my role was just as the chair of the Public Assembly Facilities Subsector Council with DHS was to assure 
that we identified where the risks were going to be and what these facilities, all these commercial facilities were going to go through in 2021 and, and beyond. So I immediately, we just collectively as IBM and our members, we began ta tasking our venue safety security committee uh, with identifying what those challenges were going to be. And this committee is basically an overarching committee and they're the thought leaders and you're a part of that. Uh, they're the thought leaders that are coordinating with us and IVM to assure that we understand the current security challenge representative of all venue types, not just one, but all of them. And the Venue State Security Commission's mission is to work with IVM education and staff to represent and advocate for safety and security interests of the venue management industry with the programs and, and initiatives to encourage and equip professionals in the discipline of life safety, security operations and, and emergency management, right? That's, that's the focus. The Working Intelligent Network is made up, as I mentioned before, Andy, of venue industry professionals and subject matter experts who work to support, to provide support of, on matters of safety and security to the IVM membership. But they have to collect this information. We have to distribute relevant information uh, relating to the current safety and security challenges and the evolving risk. And what are the recommended practices to secure those environments in the midst of a health pandemic. So we had some focal areas, um, you know, that we needed to, we had some areas that we need to focus on, Andy, uh, from the start, you know, the startup of these events. And I'd like to share those with you. Number one, we have to ensure that all of our facilities and all of our venues incident response plans reflect the altered operating conditions that are based on the current health requirements. That was important. You know, conducting assumptive risk analysis is the key to using, you know, respective teams to identify the current risk with methods to mitigate and include in the incident response plans. Exercising this, these plans is critical, has been emphasized uh, for all environments. Incorporating additional health and safety pr protocols into the business plans is also another focal point, right? So that was number one, is ensuring that the incident response plans are, 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 you know, we're kicking the dust off of them. We're making sure that they're relevant under, under, under the today's uh, health crisis and assuring that we're taking all available resources information to, to build upon and develop those plans, right, as we move forward. That was number one. Number two is coordinating, you know, coordinating with, you and I talk about this all the time, Andy, the importance of of developing these partnerships and coordinating with local, state, and federal agencies to assure that all the resources and training are accessed in a timely manner, right? We know that the federal government, whether it's the Department of Homeland Security through CISA and also uh, FEMA, we know that there's a lot of free available training out there that individuals should be tapping into, especially those that were furloughed or laid off. This was a great opportunity to start getting a lot of those free certifications showing that you're still doing your due diligence that when things start up within your facility, you are now better equipped with certifications backing you to manage those facilities. So that was number two, right? Now three was obviously accounting for, as you and I talk about all the time, the cyber and physical system security challenges, we know there's some challenges behind that. You know, if we can, if, if the threat can access IP addresses and can access and infiltrate through phishing, then we know that they can access our physical security measures. And how are we going to prevent that? 
Well, through you, Andy, and obviously team, we were able to identify resources that are able to provide, you know, as part of even a part of our AVSS curriculum moving forward, and even just, just education, educating our members on how to best utilize um, cyber and physical convergence, how to emphasize on cyber physical convergence within their respective facilities, especially now that we've gone remote and we know that the threat is still imminent within all of our all of our platforms, right? We know that. So how do we mitigate that risk? And what information can we share? And what are secure networks? So these are the things that we really need to focus on. And you've been a big driver on that, Andy, and you're also a big driver in helping us develop that for uh, AVSS and even Venue Connect uh, moving forward with your respective team. So that was, that was the third thing. Of course, number four is training. Listen, training all staff, uh, Andy, on how to manage guest services, health precautions, and safety and security concerns. Listen, I always say that this is critical. The number one asset to any team is going to be the frontline staff. Frontline staff, right? If it, and again, I always say that leadership now has to work under a whole different DNA during crisis and post-crisis, but they have to know and understand that the most valuable asset is the frontline teams. You know, those, the boots in the grounds, the ones that are working the, 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 the uh, third concentric ring of any facility or any venue, those that are working at the skin of the venue, all the way through the, through the security checkpoints that lead an individual into the facility. Those, that's the number one asset to your teams, right? And so sometimes they're the most undervalued, underpaid, overlooked, right? Uh, but they're the most valuable resource. And they have a tremendous amount of responsibility in ensuring that they safely secure their facilities. Also, making sure that they provide the best in customer service guest experience and provide the best memories, right? Memorable experiences. They're also tasked with now making sure that everybody follows and meets the, the health protocols based on the scientific evidence that says, this is what you need to have in place to secure your facility, right? From a health perspective. How do you manage your safe from health? So with those three things and your frontline staff, they're tasked with a, a ton of responsibilities. So it was so important that that is a focal point that we needed to train those teams. And one of the trainings that we did was also the de-escalation training. And we're really pushing that out hard and heavy. And that's another thing that we can discuss here a little, a little bit later as to how important that is. But that was the other thing is training. Listen, if I can program your subconscious mind to show you things you don't see on a regular basis and I give you a plan of action, Andy, guess what? I program that part of the mind that is always subject to recall, right? The more information I give you, the more tools I give you to do your job to mitigate risk, the more successful you're going to be in providing the, the appropriate and immediate response objective at the end of the day. And somebody said one time, they said, well, you know, sometimes if we overemphasize the importance of safety and security, we build and develop paranoia. I said, on the contrary, preparedness beats paranoia. The more prepared you are, the less paranoid you, paranoid you are, and the quicker you are to respond to a condition or an environment. So training was always a key and in the forefront of IVM and its members and utilizing all the, the available resources through our federal partners, um, other organizations, other associations, to include yourself, Andy, as part of AVSS. That was critical. That was number four. Number five was is obviously the importance of attending more webinars and participating in continuing education and online courses. Listen, 
when the lights when the lights went out uh, within the event industry, this was the time uh, if you had the capability to start tapping into those online resources so that you could get as much information as you could so that when the event industry does kick off again, you are better equipped and, equipped and prepared and trained to manage all aspects and functions of your respective environment. And of course, the last thing is focusing on utilizing our allied communities to investigate new technologies for future business applications. What are the technologies out there that are now being vetted or going through even DHS designation or safety act? And what are those technologies that would benefit our facilities, both from a, not only from a health uh, perspective, but also safety and security is critical and key. So those were our focal areas, um, you know, uh, for all of the all of the venues and all of our teams within all commercial facilities, you know. And again, we would always talk about these at our COVID industry update call to assure that as an association, we provided. Uh, we provided this information to the leaderships of the entire event industry. Mark, there's so much in what you shared there, and it was great stuff, a lot of great stuff. And I want to come back to a couple of those points. One, I'll include some links from those IVM events and the Safety Act office and other areas uh, for those who are listening to go back and reference. You know, a lot of what you covered, while some of it was sort of you know venue industry specific, a lot of it was so much more broad than that, right? So whether I'm I'm leading security at a, a church, mosque, or synagogue or I'm in charge of building security and I'm, a, I'm an energy company or I'm a water utility, a lot of those same ideas apply just as well, you know, from the concentric circles of security to the opportunity to enhance training. There's just so much we could be doing during this time with remote work, some scale back operations, whether it's individually, because maybe I got furloughed and I've got to make sure that I stay current or as an organization, I take advantage of some time and flexibility to let people grow and ensure that when we get back to work, we're thinking through security environment we're in today, and where things are going to be going as we get back. And that's where I'd like to go in this next uh, part of the discussion. You know, one thing that, that people might or might not know about you is Mark is an excellent trainer. He talks about making sure we're putting training out there. It's not only, you know, de developing webinars and giving people information, but it's going out there and actually training them. And you do a fantastic job to that. Mark brings a lot of intensity, real world experience, excellent training, some really key points. I love to hear Mark give some of his classes. I've heard them many times and I, I still enjoy them each and every time because they're they're so rich, but you know, as we look at our environment now more, besides the challenges of the pandemic, besides thinking about facilities opening back up and us getting vaccines out there and returning back to some level of normalcy, there's other challenges too. And you come from a, a law enforcement background, a security background. And so, you know, we've been talking about the pandemic and associated safety, but beyond that, 2020 saw a lot of violence, right? While we avoided some of the major mass shootings or, or, or you know, huge dramatic events, we still saw areas with record violence around the country shootings and fights at malls as they opened back up, other facilities that had you know, acts of violence occur there, protests and counter-protests. You talked about de-escalation. We've seen you know, protests that had great escalation, cascading impacts of surrounding facilities, a concern about increasing domestic extremism, and a lot of other events and threats that have changed our security environment from where we were you know, in January, February of 2020. Right? So as we look to reopen and reestablish something close to normal, hopefully this year, how do we reset security smartly and responsibly? What are the concerns you have in our physical threat environment today? That's, that's a really good question. Let's think about this for a second, Andy, because first of all, hosting meeting, meetings and events in a world affected by COVID are going to require a lot of adjusting, right? Think about what's happened uh, from a mental health perspective, first of all, right? Your social distancing, that kind of makes people feel 
isolated and lonely and increases stress and, uh, and tons of anxiety. These people went through that during March. Stress during an infectious disease outbreak has caused fear and worry about their own health and health of their loved ones to include financial concerns, job loss. Uh, they've, a lot of them may have lost a lot of their support services. So from a mental health perspective, that plays in and factors in to the level of violence that is potentially going to increase with all those facilities. Listen, for the last 20 years, our biggest concern was international terrorism. But you said it. However, domestic terrorism has, super, has superseded the threat of international terrorism here recently. Extremists now um, are motivated by political, racial, ethnic, economic, health, and other grievances are going to remain the most persistent and lethal threat in, the, in our homeland. That spills into our facilities. Targeting mass gatherings at events, especially during times when facilities are most vulnerable in the midst of crisis, continues to be the imminent threat. And that continues, we continue to put that in the forefront of all of our venue operators and not to lose sight of that. You know, from your physical security measures to your access control measures, all, a lot of these things are still in place but there needs to be even more a heavy emphasis to assure that we secure our, our, our current threat, our current landscape, our current physical security landscape within those respected facilities. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think that leads right into really the last question I really want to get into. And, you know, as we're talking a lot about, you know, from the venue standpoint, that's important too, but as we look to reopening, right, whether I'm a patron excited to get back out to events and see shows and, have a good time and enjoy being back out in public, or if I'm a security professional, providing security and keeping the public safe as they return to my venue or other property, what are some of the organizational and personal security best practices that you would encourage me to think about and to be aware of as we get back into this environment, as I've been sitting at home and getting back to my facility, back to you know, mass gatherings you just described, what are the things I should be thinking about as a person and as a security leader? As a person, security leader going back into your environment, I think you should be heavily involved in, in a lot of the group discussions that have been taking place within, you know, I'll give you an example. We have a venue safety security committee, but we have subcommittees that are both members and non-members. Tapping into those subcommittees is highly recommended. Being a part of those discussions is key to understand what is challenging and threatening from a security perspective all of these environments. So taking in intel, information, and resources is going to be key and critical. Taking in as much training as you can uh, going back into those facilities, right? Because I always say that we have to train teams uh, on the following. And I'm going to give you a list of the things that you should start thinking about in regards to training before you go back into your facility and even when you go back in, within your facility. The purpose of training is obviously we're trying to increase personal safety. That's yours personally, you personally. You're number one, first of all, right? If you don't take care of yourself, you're not gonna be able to take care of others that you're responsible with at the end of the day. So increasing personal safety and decreasing stress when encountering people that are uncooperative. We're gonna deal with that because as I mentioned, the mental health concern, right? That is going to, people are less, gonna be less likely to comply in certain circumstances coming out of quarantine, going into an event. So how are you going to manage that to where you get the positive result at the end of the day? So, and where are you getting that, 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 that particular type of training? I always talk about, Andy, 
programming the mind through mental preparation to see beyond one's normal preconditioned expectation as it relates to potentially disruptive behavior. What are you thinking about regarding the potentially potential disruptive behavior that you could and will potentially encounter in a facility? And how are you mitigating that? In your mind, what is the plan of action going to be based on the resources that you either have or that you are receiving, right? The other thing is enhancing conflict management to assist a person in preventing confrontations from becoming volatile situations. This right here is going to be huge, right? Conflict management is going to be, should be at the top of the list. Enhancing professionalism and assisting employees in recognizing the impact their words, their actions are going to have on the public. I'll tell you right now, and I tell teams all the time when I talk about the de-escalation training that, that, just, that I just pushed out is, listen, when people are directing things at you, it's really not at you. It's what you represent, the authority, right? Not you personally. So if we can channel that and know, look, it's not about me. It's about what I represent, the authority figure of that venue or that facility. And again, that could be any facility because it's pretty, pretty broad, right? So thinking about how you're going to manage and handle those situations, identifying pre-assault indicators and nonverbal behavior posturing prior to threat engagement. This is going to be huge. How are you going to be able to recognize the threat in that third concentric ring when it's going to be a little bit more challenging to understand the behavioral patterns because people are having to comply from a health perspective. They're having to wear facial coverage, right? Well, there's a way to do that. There's still a way to understand that the, the behavior doesn't meet the baseline within that particular environment. How do you identify it? And how do you leverage guest services to mitigate that safety and security risk? So start thinking going into your facility, how are you gonna, how are you gonna train yourself to understand that if you can provide the best in guest service customer experience, it's also a way of identifying behavior that's not conducive to the environment and doesn't meet that baseline. It can be a method to deter and deflect some really bad actors if it's interjected, if you're using that guest service piece when you see and spot the suspicious behavior, that thing that looks unusual, the elephant in the room before, the, before these individuals come to your facility, but approaching with a guest service, leveraging guest services, how are you gonna do that? And what are the different things that you can see? And how, what's the guest service approach? Right. If I provide you with the best customer service guest experience because I see suspicious behavior, now you know all eyes are on you. That might just be enough to deter a bad actor, right? And there's ways to do that. So there's still ways to leverage that guest service approach. But something to think about: the the controlling the body's physio physiological effects during uncomfortable situations, in order for an individual to gain maximum control with a positive outcome. Listen. If I stress you out, Andy, and I, um, if I give you a condition that you did not expect it to, to see, let's just say your frontline teams are encountered, they have not received any training whatsoever, and all of a sudden the events kick off and they're opening up, and they, they encounter an observation or a, um, you know, a potential confrontational uh, guest or attendee, and they never expected to see that, they never expected to encounter that. It creates what we call a heart rate spike. The heart rate spike over 175 beats per minute causes certain physiological effects that also affects your ability to think clearly. It causes cognitive impair impairment. The inability to utilize good sound judgment, critical, right? Causes tunnel vision. 
It's called the fog. We can't think clearly, right? Your motor skill degradation is gone because all the blood shunts to the to the major uh, to the major organs uh, so that they can survive and sustain, right? Causes auditory exclusion. Sometimes you can't hear. The body automatically shuts its ability to hear because you're so emotionally attached to a situation that you have never been inoculated to. You've never been inoculated to that condition. So before you go into a facility at the start of an event, how much of that training have you received, right? How much of those, how much of these different encounters and, and the things that you're going to potentially see outside of the normal baseline are you prepared to deal with as you move forward? The other thing is reducing vicarious liability. You start thinking about the vicarious liability by training not only yourself and other employees on how they're going to handle encounters skillfully, professionally, thereby reducing the potential complaints and lawsuits, right? That is critical. So those are all the things that we should really start thinking about um, before we, before and during the time that we're back in the workforce and working all of our events. Mark, you had so much in there. There's a lot of really good quotes that you know, I could pull out of there. Um, I've heard you talk about the increased heart rate and the effects that has on a responding individual. You know, many times I think it's always such a powerful you know, piece for people to understand, whether it's at the venue, we're talking about somebody you know, out and about wherever they are, and all of a sudden there's an active shooter situation. Understand what that is like and what that's going to do to your ability to effectively respond I need to prepare for that. It, 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 there's a lot to think about that. I hope people sort of take that into consideration. I want to go back to two things that you touched on. You, know, you talked a lot about guest services. I think it's great. But for those that are outside the venue community, might not you know, fully understand what guest services is. I think we could apply a similar approach to, hey, this is your you know, ushers and greeters at a faith-based organization. This is your maybe uh, reception area, your, your security team signing people into a building. It's that sort of frontline person that is, encountering, receiving, and helping make that person that's coming into facility welcome and enjoy their experience, whatever it is. Now, it's a little different for you know, the venue community, but that same idea sort of applies much more broadly across. There's always that first point of contact, and somebody's helping somebody come into a facility and get familiar with it to, to start their journey, whether it's up to a meeting or to an event or whatever it might be. There's somebody, and that person is a critical part of the security team, aren't they? They're a very critical part. Uh, that's the face of an organization, uh, Andy, at the end of the day. That is your face. And that initial approach is going to set the tone for compliance. It's going to set the tone for the memorable experience. You know, we have a conference as well, Andy, it's, as, you, as you're aware, Guest X. You know, it's a confidence for everyone that's invested in crafting an exceptional, safe, and extraordinary guest experience. This is the one that provides all of the attendees with invaluable content via skills, a skills-based workshop and networking sessions that empowers individuals on how to put newly gained expertise into immediate action, right? Whether you work in sports, as you said, um, arts, the conference, the meeting industry, or anywhere people get together, you wanna make sure that you're providing the best in customer experience and guest services. Uh, again, that's the face of, a, of an organization and that's the thing that we should really be focused on. And again, this past year has brought many, many new challenges to our entire industry from a guest service perspective. So the, import, the importance of creating a safe and enjoyable guest experience is more important now than ever. It is so important. How do we navigate uh, through this new norm and create those memorable experiences, especially with those that have been laid off, those that have been furloughed, and now they're coming back to welcome guests into our facilities. 
as the face of the organization. Yeah, there, there's, like I said, there's a lot in there. Those events are great, right? IBM's training is great, not only because of the instruction, which is top notch. When you bring people, you know, experts in their fields, they really provide great instruction. But beyond that, that networking opportunity is absolutely huge, right? Those relationships, meeting others that are doing similar types of work and be able to continue those conversations and relationships and have those sounding boards in the future. I just wanted the, the, the you know, incredible experience to come out of all the different IBM course offerings. And you know, I hope that those who might not necessarily think they would attend some of those events consider it because there's a lot of value for, for others as well. And you've got so many different communities that you know, almost any, anyone can find a place to plug in. So it's really great. But I wanna go back to one more thing you talked about and we've already seen you know, during the pandemic so many confrontations where, you know, somebody, like I said, is just trying to enforce the rule. They're the face of the organization saying, hey, you know, please maintain your distance. Hey, please have a mask on before you come to my facility. And we've seen those things blow up on social media, on the news. And every, every couple of weeks, there's another incidence of violence or at least escalation relating to that. You've got a great quote. I might mis misstate it, so you can correct me if I don't say it right. But I, I use this all the time. I always try and give you credit for it. And that's that you can't profile people, but you can profile behaviors. Right. You can't Listen, judge them by the way they look or how they're dressed or what we might think of the where they're coming from. But there are things that we can look for, actions that we can see, activities that may cause concern. And we have absolutely a right and responsibility to profile those types of activities and behaviors and to take appropriate action when we see those. Could you explain that a little bit and correct anything that I misstated, perhaps? No, no, you, you said it just perfectly, Andy. Listen, I always of all the teams, and I've done about 450 training sessions throughout the world in all the sports things. And one of the things that I ask them is this, is it okay to profile? And, and, and they're hesitant because of the times that we're living in today. They're thinking profiling people from a, you know, from a racial or, or ethnic, uh, ethnic perspective. And I'm talking about from a security perspective. And uh, some will raise their hand, many won't. And I said, yeah, it's okay from a security policy. It's okay to profile behavior, not people, behavior that is not conducive to the environment. If you see that anomalous behavior that is unusual and doesn't fit the baseline of your facility, profile it all day long and I always say, I don't care what color you are, how tall, how short you are, how round you are, how little you are. If the behavior doesn't meet the baseline, profile it all, all day long and leverage the approach with a guest service approach to let the individual know that all eyes are on you. But look, and even, and I and going back, when I provide that best customer service guest experience, even to something that could potentially be threatening, right? That's enough to deter it. But here's the thing, if I'm wrong in the approach, I'm still right because I just provided you with one of the best customer service approaches and welcoming you into our event. So, so yeah, you're absolutely right, um, you know, um, the importance is profile behavior, not people, and profile that all day long. Because I always say, you know, you can't unring a bell. When, when, when there you have a threatening environment and crisis hits and you sat on information, you saw it, you didn't say anything, you didn't do anything about it, and you just sat on the information, you can't go back and unring the bell. And when I did a presentation to seven to 8,000 students here at American Airlines Center, I told him just that. I said, when the bell rings, you can't unring it. If you sat on that information, you can't rewind time and go back and fix that. So it's so important to profile the behavior and again, not people. And when, and when I talk about the training, kind of going back to digressing back to the training, here's another quote for you, Andy, that, uh, that you can use. 
The more information I give you, the more I put in your subconscious mind, the two parts of the mind, the conscious, the subconscious, conscious sees things for what is literal, what is actually happening, stores about 40% of the information, 60 plus percent is in the subconscious. You say, that's the dumb part of the mind. It's not the dumb part of the mind, it's the rational part of the mind, but it's always subject to recall. But listen, if I program the subconscious part of mind, you're going to recall situations quickly and respond with appropriate response uh, objective. Um, I always say this, here's the quote, the body will go where the mind has been. If the mind hasn't been there, then the body will not follow. I've heard you say that, Mark, and I think it's true, right? It's just like, just like working out, right? You condition your body, get used to certain things, you build that muscle memory, just like everything else we talk about, right? You, you play like you practice, you hear it in many different ways, whether you're talking on a sports team or you know, safely handling weapons, whatever it might be, it's that same approach, right? You've got to really bake into the person's you know, mind, body, and soul so they know how to react effectively without thinking about it when that incident comes. And I love the, you can't unring the bell you know, quote as well. And it's really important. I mean, I want people to understand as they listen to this, because it is a sensitive term. I'm right? talking about profiling. It's a sensitive term. But you know, I know Mark and I have both experienced our own um, incidents of, of stereotypes and prejudice and, and different things we've gone through in our lives. And that's not all we're talking about here, right? It's, not, it's got nothing to do with the way somebody looks, but it's absolutely their behaviors and what they're doing. And we should be very alert to that. And we should have no issue you know, responding to things that don't look right, because you can't go back and unring that bell. And it's always too late on the other end of the incident to say, oh man, that didn't look right. I should have known. Can't change it. Can't change the past. So I, mean, I really appreciate you know, all that perspective. No, that's, that's excellent, Andy. And I think, uh, again, um, you and I are both the same in that we want to provide as much information as we can so that people can feel safe and secure within their environments. And listen, why not share as much information as we can? You do it through REISAC. And you devote a lot of your, your own personal time and attention to do that through ABSS and IVM and its conference and, and all of our educational offerings. So again, somebody asked me, you'll, you'll give away the, the farm on safety and security. I said, I will. It's kind of like when I trained, you know, the Cowboy, the Dallas Cowboy staff, they said, and, and what was the cost? And I said, hey, I, I did it. I did it at no cost. And they're going, you have got to be kidding. I said, listen, at the time they really needed, it was in the middle of crisis that was going on and I needed to do something for them. I was happy to do that. Uh, and you're, you're kind of the same way. So uh, thank you as well, Andy. No, thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. I know you've got a, a servant's heart there and you want to do its best before you worry about the, uh, the dollars and cents of things, right? It's about doing what's right and what's going to keep us all safe and secure. So I always appreciate the way you approach these things. And you know, you're, you're absolutely a professional in that. So, hey, man, there's been a great conversation. We've covered a lot. There's so many things we could dive into. We'll say some of that for a follow-on conversation. And the next time we can maybe get together. But open floor as we wrap up, Mark, thank you so much. Right? Anything that you want to share? Any Mark Carrera secrets? Any deep insights? Any any workout tips or exciting updates about either you personally or IVM that you want to share with those that might be listening in? Yeah, I'm going to say, always give me one more rep. Always give me one more rep in whatever you do, right? Doesn't matter, right? Whether you're training, whatever the key, whether you're working out, one more rep, right? Here's the thing. Don't count the reps. Just do as many as you can, right? So in conclusion, I just want to say this. It's our goal at the end of the day to collectively come together and make every reasonable effort to provide safe and healthy environments for all of those working in all different, uh, working and attending all different types of events, whether you're faith-based, whether you're a venue, 
you know, one of our venues hosting events, whether you're a racetrack, whether you're cultural properties, whether it doesn't matter, whatever organization or venue you're a part of, that is our goal at the end of the day is to provide safe and healthy environments. And although there's no guarantee for a zero risk environment, we're always going to work, continue to implement and measure a means to mitigate, identify and mitigate all of the risk associated with not only the health crisis, but on the security front as well. Uh, we'll continue to do that and we'll continue to drive forward, move forward. Need everybody to stay positive, stay safe, stay secure. And if we at IABM can ever assist or me personally, Andy knows how to get a hold of me, feel free to reach out to me. And then Andy, I just wanna thank you for your dedication to the industry. Again, I can't give you, uh, by the way, thanks Andy for providing our members and our industry the complimentary uh, 56 month, um, you know, complimentary registrations to your membership of REISAC. Such valuable information to tap into. And uh, I couldn't, we can't thank you. Our, our, our industry can't thank you enough for doing that. And again, thank you for your service and what you do for AVSS as well. You're such an integral part of that. And we're going to keep you as long as you want to stay on. So thanks, Andy. And thanks for having me. Mark, thanks so much. You always, you always leave me feeling pretty good about myself. So I appreciate that. But no, really, this has been, this has been an awesome discussion. I think there's, there's so much that's so broadly applicable in everything that you've shared. And absolutely, if folks have questions or ideas in the back end, you can reach out to me and we can talk about, you know, either resources you can get, how to connect with Mark, how to connect with IBM, whatever might be appropriate. But Mark, you've been great. You're always great. I can't wait to have a chance to see you in person again here soon, hopefully. I know we're supposed to be in uh, Louisiana, I think, next month. And unfortunately, the circumstance didn't allow us to do that. But I know we're going to get together for training or some other opportunities soon enough. And I'm really excited about that. So thank you for taking the time today to talk with me and for sharing with those that are listening in. And thanks to everyone who is listening. This is Day 15 Interview, my monthly interview with amazing guests and leaders, just like Mark Herrera here. We've had some other great guests in the past, and maybe we'll have Mark back again and continue some of these thoughts as we move forward, as we discuss all hazards, threats, and risks across our environment. So please check out uh, previous interviews or other Day 15 podcasts. Uh, they're all on the same channel. You can listen to the Risk Roundtable, our monthly Day 15 discussion, where we explore the all hazards, threats, and risks impacting the U.S. and the world. The Cybersecurity Evangelist with Jennifer Lynn Walker, a cybersecurity-focused discussion with Jen and invited guests, and then Dave Pounder's Nerd Out Security Panel discussion with a really all-star group posting on physical security topics, including terrorism, extremism, hostile events, and other topics, and often including Joe Levy, the uh, the Venue Station Security Committee Chair that uh, that group Mark was talking about earlier today, who's always a welcome and a valuable part of that discussion. So I hope you'll subscribe, listen, and share your ideas and other feedback. Reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or however you like. You can reach out to us as podcast at gay15.global as well. If you've got any questions for Mark about IEVM or anything he discussed today, I know he's happy to hear that. Mark, you've been amazing. Thank you so much. And for those that are listening, until next time, be reasonably safe and live free. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Andy.